The Ringer's music critic Rob Harvilla curates and explores 60 iconic songs from the 90s that define the decade. Rob is joined by a variety of guests to break it all down as they turn back the clock. Check out 60 songs that explain the 90s exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, he bankrupted my theater company just to give Al Pacino a Lifetime Achievement Award. It's Andy Greenwald. You had that in your pocket for days. Days and days, Andy. It's so beautiful to see you. You know, Andy, because we're doing succession on Sundays now. We don't really pod until Thursday, so Thursday it's it's really must see TV for us. Uh, it's great to see you. It's great to be here with Kaya. It's great here to be here with our listeners, and we're going to talk a little bit about the the joke I just made, which is a reference to the mm-hmm. uh, amazing Jeremy Strong profile in the New Yorker that came out on Sunday afternoon uh, after we had already recorded our Succession podcast. We'll talk a little bit about the success discourse that's going on. Um, and then we have some other stuff we want to hit. We wanted to talk about this Lakers show. The trailer just went up for, uh, and a couple of other TV programs that have been in the mix here. Andy, how are you doing? I'm excited. I feel like one of those kind of like aging, but wily MLB pitchers who needs the full five days rest. You know what I mean? Like after our succession pod last week, I had the f- I had like eight bags of ice duct taped to my arm, and I was just sitting in the clubhouse with a jacket draped over my shoulders. But you know, yeah. I, do am I am I popping a hundred on the gun anymore? No, I think our no. listeners agree. But you know, I can still I can still sneak. Do some you stuff have by do people. umpires check under your belt for substances that you may be applying <laughs> they, to the ball? Get get a they, little. They check everywhere. <laughs> the substances <laughs> are flowing freely. You got to get through the game, however you can, at this age. Uh, how are you doing, man? Where do you want to start with? Do you want to start with the Lakers? Do you want to start with Jeremy Strong? What do you want to do? I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I, we've I guess been they're all of a piece because they all come from Adam McKay Industries somewhat, right? That's true. That's a good yeah. point. Um, I think that we should start, and I apologize. I know we have some listeners who enjoy our bants and our coverage of other shows and maybe don't watch Succession, but they're getting a lot of it these days. Rest assured, it's over soon. The season ends on Sunday. I do think it's worth... We, we can exclusively report that, yeah, that exactly. it's over soon. This is, this is why people tune into us. Well. You know? People would be lost. Um, I think we should start with the Jeremy Strong stuff because I, I the, this whole moment has been fascinating. Now, yeah. this conversation we should put some brackets around it. This is not going to be about 
the penultimate episode of Succession Season 3. We are not going to talk about uh, this season finale, which we have not seen and no screeners are available, but we are going to talk kind of in a meta way about the way it's been received and the way you it's been to, You had to offer up a public apology for our misunderstanding <laughs> of when the screeners are coming. I did. No, I, well, I didn't have to. I volunteered to before I was asked to. Speaking of public apologies, can I just interrupt you before we get back to okay, the succession sure. for a second? Yeah. My current favorite story, it's actually been a, like, despite the fact that I'm not entirely sure the world is an ending, right. it's been a really cool content week. There's been, like, mm. really good stuff online. And my favorite by far, and I, this also breaks my heart because I don't want anything da- bad to happen to England, which is a country I really love and enjoy spending time in. Mm. But do you know that their government might be toppled because they can't stop throwing Christmas parties at Downing Street? Yeah, they love Crimbo. <laughs> I mean, listen, you spend more time in England than I have, but that is definitely something that I know from my latent Anglophilia, but also just like reading the Melody Maker in the, in, in, in the 90s. Like, <laughs> they fucking love a Christmas do. Oh my God. They got the crackers. They got the advent calendar. They have a, they maybe a bit of a tipple. Yeah, they so love they've it. Been, they've been having like, you know, these ups and downs, obviously there just like everywhere about over COVID and like they had all these like very, you know, like restrictive lockdowns as as they needed to, to keep control of the uh, virus. And one of the things that's nuts about England is like, they were like, will Boris Johnson cancel Christmas last yeah, year? And right. like, when they were, it wasn't like, will he stop Santa from entering the UK airspace? It was, some, But it was like the prime minister, some, you know, had basically the power to be like, no one will have a roast and then go to the pub. It was what? like, he was going to yeah. shut it down. And then it turns out last year that they just had like, they couldn't get enough Christmas parties at Downing Street. And that like, there were like nine different parties. I read a full timeline of like all the different dues that they had. Yeah. And then yesterday, I think, they got, so what happened was basically like a, um, a comms person from the UK government got caught standing at like a briefing room podium joking about how she had just had like a piss up <laughs> for a Christmas party. And then she got fired when the, the tapes finally came out just recently and she got she left. And there's just like this this video of her now tearfully reading from a printed apology while wearing, ironically, a Christmas sweater. <laughs> And when you were like, I just want to say, I am sorry for misunderstanding <laughs> when the Look, succession screener will be made available. I just wanted you to do that on camera wearing a Christmas sweater. It would have been you, perfect. These these guys go crazy for this holiday. I don't yeah. know, man. I'm happy not to be a part of it. I, I, I feel we do not have much to stand on here because duly elected members of our government send out holiday cards with their eight-year-old sons <laughs> holding ar 50 100s whatever the fuck guns are called yeah like so and and i as i said that i pictured uh ashley schaefer talking about his son gabriel <laughs> holding a gun which made it fun but funnier but not fun yeah anyway um so we have no leg to stand on but i i have been reading about the uk government and it wasn't specifically the christmas parties but uh on twitter brian grubb posted what i think he correctly identified as the greatest url uh, in recent history, which was from the Washington Post. And it was like washingtonpost.com backslash England cocaine toilets dot HTML. <laughs> oh, yeah. They've also got, there was like way too much coke in Parliament, <laughs> apparently. Like all the bathrooms have tested positive. I mean, look, it's, I, you and I loved 
uh, Cool Britannia. We loved the Britpop era, you know, when Noel Gallagher and Tony Blair were knocking they back a couple They need to bring the pints. thick of it back. We're re- I'm ready for it. This is great stuff. <laughs> anyway, in terms of my own uh, apology, it wasn't so much. It was actually interesting. It was that our, our friends at HBO Media sent a message being like, uh, the Los Angeles Times is saying that you guys announced on your podcast that you would be getting screeners of the finale well in advance. And this does feel a little wag the dogish that the LA Times, a respected news outlet in our hometown paper, was like, these dum-dums. I hope it was Bill announced. Plaschke. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right? Or Steve Lopez, yeah. Um, um, no, but what hey, happened was, what happened yeah. was I, uh, on the screener You don't site, have to apologize today. Well, you I'm just explaining to people who maybe who didn't, maybe they didn't see the tweets of any kind. On the succession pod, I said that uh, we would be getting the screener on Sunday morning. That was a willful, uh, maybe a hopeful misread because on the HBO site for the screeners of 308, it said, be aware, screeners for the finale, uh, the, the finale will go up on this site, the press site, yeah. at 9 p.m. But I thought it said 9 a.m., meaning no screeners. It's it's going to go up when it goes up on HBO Max. Anyway, all of this is to say we're not really going to spoil anything. I think that uh, we're going to talk around it. And really, the talking around it is kind of interesting. It's been a minute since we have had a cultural moment that feels monocultural in this way, at least in our little corner of the internet, uh, or at least in terms of our- In terms of like water both cooler. what happened on Sunday night in the episode, but also the meta conversation around it, which is largely stemming yeah. from- And you know, it's it's interesting too with the Jeremy Strong profile. So for people who don't know, Michael Shulman wrote a, like a very long, very detailed, very interesting- profile of of Jeremy Strong, who plays Kendall Roy on, on Succession, in The New Yorker. It went up on Sunday before the episode went up, uh, which many uh, tea leaf readers were like, well, that'll explain what happens to Kendall then, doesn't it? Or and, what might happen to Kendall. Or, well, in, I mean, yes, what his fate might be, because it felt like a uh, victory lap, like a like a punctuation mark at the end of a sentence to to have this sort of retrospective of his career leading up to this moment, and uh, not unlike Bad Art Friend or or some other like kind of more no- notable you know online sensations that come out of come out of journalism. It, I think that there was a lot of debate about if you think this about Jeremy Strong, it says this about you. You know, right. if you've read this article, you you are like, and you read that article, and you're like. This guy's this guy's amazing, you know. Then like you need to check yourself, and and then there's the flip side of like maybe you know, maybe there are different processes, and and Jeremy Strong is is welcome to become a cobbler if he's playing a cobbler or whatever, whatever. Well, I mean, method that's acting that, he does, yeah. I mean, we we've referred to it in passing on the on on our show. It, it is it has it has been reported that he is a very intense performer. And that while the mood on set of Succession appears to be by all, by and large very convivial and fun yeah, lo- and loosey goosey, and Mark Mylod encourages once they get what he thinks they need, he does freebies where the actors can kind of um, you know ad lib and, and 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 joke around and and everybody seems to get along really well. And there's always the caveat that well, Jeremy doesn't do that. Um, that Jeremy right. stays in his trailer. He doesn't like. He stays in character. He doesn't like to engage with the other people because they're not in character and it ruins his process. And then this piece kind of really, 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 really went into it. Um, you know, talking about how when he was in the trial of the Chicago Seven, like he was making like circus noises when Frank Langella was was trying to deliver speeches because he was in character as was he Abby Hoffman in it or was he someone else? No, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen was Abby Hoffman, right? Yeah, I he, can't was, he was. He was. He was a yippie. He was. He was in the mix. Mm-hmm. And 
yeah, I agree with you that it's a fascinating case study. I, I think my first takeaway is we all know too much. I think we just, I think we know too much now. And I know that that's rich for us in our hot dog suits to wonder who crashed the Wienermobile into the clothing store. But two things can be possible. And I feel like this is the kind of nuance that is missing both from the reaction to the story and to the reaction to last Sunday's succession. Sure. Two things can be possible. Jeremy Strong could be really insufferable to work with. He, in fact, could be insufferable to be around. We don't know this, but he could be. And I mean, Robert Downey Jr. seems to enjoy his, his time with him. He, many, him. many famous actors seem to because yeah. he finds a way of like ingratiating himself to them and like well, was that's a house my guest that, Michelle Williams' The most interesting thing about the piece is that he's been basically training for this his entire Apprentice. life. He identified very early on that yes. not only did he want to act, but he wanted to act in a certain way and he was, uh, he was looking up to a certain kind of actor. And then went about his life basically trying to, I mean, the guy served a lot of internships. I didn't even know actors could do that. You know, like Wendy Wasserstein, Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean, he just stood out. He was Daniel Day-Lewis's personal assistant just standing outside his trailer and apparently like occasionally surreptitiously handing him nuts as he was starving himself to death to play the character in the ballad of whatever that movie was. Jack and Rose. Jack and Rose. His wife, Rebecca Miller, directed that movie. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's wife. And anyway, what I, all I was going to say was, he could be insufferable in all ways or not. We don't know him. He's a great actor and it's a great performance, you know, and the desire to rush in and, and have an opinion one way or another or somehow be like, we stand Kieran Culkin who clearly can't stand him. None of that's probably true. We don't know that, you know. Right. What, I, what I think, though, coming out of this week of meta succession stuff is one of the underappreciated abilities of Jesse Armstrong and his writing team, I think, is noticing things. Now, we, yeah, we're going to talk about some comedies in a minute on the show. And, and one of the hallmarks of sitcoms tends to be after the first few episodes, you feel a click into place while the writers not only get their voice, they begin to understand the nuances of the performers that they've cast and write to them. Sure. And that happens on all shows, that especially shows that go for multiple seasons. But the speed with which Succession snapped into focus, you know, and I, I, I infamously didn't like it until episode four or five, but other people have said something similar about where or when they got into it. Is the I, I I remain really impressed at how they found these people. Actors are not their characters, but there are elements that are emerging as the actors become more public that are fascinating. Mm-hmm. And Kieran Culkin is on Fresh Air this week. You know, I, I love to shout out NPR podcasts uh, because love he was also to he did Marin recently too. He did Marin recently, yeah. but 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 on Fresh Air, like Terry Gross pushes him a little bit on some stuff about his family and his brother, and you hear. Roman in his vocal, I mean, obviously he's an actor, he's not Roman, but there's something about his uh, deflection and his, uh, you know, there's something underneath it that is clearly roiling and still upsets him about child fame and all this stuff. And he deflects in a very like, well, jokey, jokey, but charming, charming kind of way. Fascists are cool, but not really. (laughs) So so not that, but the cadence of that. And similarly, the thing about Jeremy Strong, I mean, reading this profile, like, this is very unlikely, right? Like he comes from a working class New England upbringing and being a great thespian who lives in a barn with his wife in Denmark, that seems a little bit not in the cards. You know what I mean? Unless you actively work your ass off and hustle to make it happen. And it, you you can read this story as like a kind of inspirational tale. Mm-hmm. Or you can read it as like, he went to a tailor and was like, dress me like you dressed Daniel Day-Lewis when he won the Oscar for My Left Foot, so when I win an Emmy. I mean, there's cynicism in this, but there's also just like 
wild focus, right? It's it's kind of interesting. Anyway, the re- I said that only because there is something about potential striving or the sweat in that story that is in Kendall, you know? And even yes. if Jeremy Strong doesn't acknowledge it or recognize it or thinks he's too much of a chameleon or he doesn't think it's a comedy or whatever, Jesse Armstrong sees it and is using it brilliantly. Yeah. Uh, can you think of another example of a show where you saw a showrunner identify that in a person and almost write to those person that person's specific qualities or even their public persona? Public persona is an interesting one because very often, um, you know, th- there there is an element of casting where if you cast someone who is notoriously a certain way in the tabloids and then you, you have them be the opposite or you take advantage of it or, you know, like when like when you mentioned Downey, like when Downey came on Ally McBeal, you know, as a sort of like beginning oh, yeah. of his comeback. I think the most famous example for recent television is Aaron Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, we, 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 we cite this a lot, but that, that Jesse was not meant to be the second hand in a two-hander the way that he became uh, over the course of that. He was, the character was meant to die, but they were like, this kid brings something and brings something out of Cranston and we're going to keep going. We're going to see where this leads us. I, I almost feel like the question and I'm, I'm floundering because I don't have anything in my that jumps no, into I my was, head. I, but, I, but at the same time, I feel like you could ask it about almost any long-running series and identify a character or a performer who suddenly, who rose and who rose and who rose and who rose and was always kind of there. And then you realize what it is. At a certain point, someone realizes what they have. Yeah. I mean, I think Ham is to some extent, you could say that about Ham to some extent. Right. Well, a lot of the, I mean, I think a lot of the actors in that company, you yeah. know, when you think about Mad Men, which was just so brilliantly written and performed, um, the best shows make actors make the best shows are showcases for brilliant actors, right? But um, Elizabeth Moss, for example, or John Slattery, like they're going to be great in anything. Um, they just elevated. What, what what's amazing about shows like Mad Men is you have other actors, um, and I think Succession does this too. The the best the best coaches put players in the position to succeed, right? Mm-hmm. And this is not a dig at all at really talented working actors like January Jones or Rich Summer, like people who I really enjoy seeing on screen. Um, but they, but Matt Weiner was just like, I I think I know how to use how to use these tools. Yeah, and, and I think their tools. there's also like an element. I remember on Mad Men, especially you know, aside from the like the the fun shipping that would go on about. Mad Men characters, I think that they were very good at writing to the chemistry of certain par- partnerships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that even if there wasn't necessarily a completely like work-related reason for two characters to be together or to be working on something together, I think that they realized what they had with, with say, Peggy and Don. And, and that emerged over the course mm-hmm. of several seasons where they yeah. become partners and and sort of also antagonists and it was you know it was that that's the kind of thing that i think succession does really well because they work they have all these very social moments on the show where you can pull people together so bring it back to succession i think that um what was interesting what's been interesting to me about this week was seeing that a desire that we've expressed many times to go back to our golden age mm-hmm. of not necessarily early sopranos but like a decade ago, you know, when Breaking Bad was ending and we were all watching those last episodes together breathlessly or, or when Thrones was starting, like there was something that we know, obviously as podcasters, it was fun, but also it was just fun as TV fans to be all speculating and joking and talking and deep diving and pouring over clues and all that, or like we used to do with Lost or whatever. Clearly there's still an appetite for that. 
And it's been, that aspect of this past week has been fun. I think what's been a little bit um, frustrating is a very strong word, but I guess worth noting is that in our collective desire to have a text to pour over, mm-hmm. I do feel like succession is being, as it, has, as it often is during its run, is just kind of being misread. I mean, ultimately, it's not breaking bad. And whether a character is alive or dead, it wasn't even that kind of a cliffhanger. You know, I thought, I thought Emily Vanderwerf had a really smart piece in Vox, which was basically like, let's let this episode be the episode and let's look at the shots in the episode and appreciate them. Can we pause and do that? Uh, I think the, the internet collectively said, uh, okay, boomer, no. But <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like th- I, that, that ability I, to just stay in it is I, kind I of worth I agree with you that there's like, there, there is obviously like a sport around following succession mm-hmm. or treating succession like a sport is, is, is been debated. It's not like they don't know what they're doing. If if it was like well then there's that le- piece. if it yeah. was like just let it breathe brother like then like show him in the next episode if if, if it's not about whether he's alive or yeah. dead then put him in the scenes from next week or don't and like you know obviously people Zapruder filming the thirty second promo and being like that's the top of Kendall's head or you can see him in a long shot at the wedding or what about this shot from the beginning you know from the this season on Succession where you see him with a shaved head it's like. I don't know why this season is nine episodes and I don't know that they didn't shoot some stuff with Jeremy Strong just in case. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I have no idea. Yeah, I, I also think it's worth noting, again, I don't. this actually doesn't matter in the scheme of how things are received, but when you say they know what they're doing, HBO knows what it's doing, right? I mean, like the press team, by, uh, you know, neglecting to share screeners, by crafting the next week on, because I think some people may not know this, but generally the showrunner, but the executive producers of the show create the previously ons, but the next like week they ons... they edit, edit them together, you mean? Yes. I okay. spent way too much time on those, uh, and I never saw the next week ons for Briarpatch. Well, how the, come the then... The promotional team does that. But did, did in some cases, like, did Matt Weiner, like, say, like, I will be in charge of next week on Badman, and that's why it's like... Where's my hat? What? Uh, yes, I think that more empowered showrunners who are more, right. you know, viscerally involved can definitely say, don't do that. I don't want that given away, for sure. But that's why the whole thing, like, it, it was there was a weird moment on Sunday where there were some loose tweets about, like, oh, you'd better watch this live. And so people were like, is this a humble brag? Is this a warning? What's going on? And then The New Yorker drops it specifically to enter in to the meta discourse among people who have seen screeners of it you know it David, was it was david remnick has entered the meta discourse <laughs> for real though it was kind of galaxy brain yeah and uh i guess the big takeaway is we still we people who go on twitter too much or whatever like still want a big show yeah a big show to talk about you know it's in that that piece of it is fun and that piece of it though i think is worth noting is more the sports piece of it it is less the show but both can be true at the same time and both can be enjoyable sure uh would you would you cast jeremy strong in your next project chris i know you're i know you're casting a wide net i know you're seeing non-traditional choices well one of the the uh one of the little details in the new yorker profile is that jeremy strong has broken his feet twice uh in succession once running in hard bottom shoes both both hard bottom shoe accidents once running to get to the boardroom meeting and i believe season one 
And then in season three, I think he injured himself leaping off the stage at his 40th birthday. Yeah. I, you know, I don't, I don't love the medicals, honestly. You know, like, right. I, it's like, you, you, this is why you draft Duran over Odin. Is like, I just, I, yeah, <laughs> I don't love what I'm seeing. So unless I was maybe going to cast him as like Tom Noonan in my Heat remake and he just has to be in a wheelchair, which I think he would do a great job as, by the way. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I thought you were going to say, but what about if you were going to cast him as Udonis Haslam in your Heat remake? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine what Jeremy Strong would do if he, he had to play that. Udonis Haslam? He um, would commit. He so would are commit. you asking me whether or not I would want to work with a quote-unquote difficult person? I don't know. Maybe I am a difficult person. You know, like maybe I'm the Jeremy You're Strong here. You're a dream. You're a dream. Come on. I, I, I can be moody, I think. W- was it once, one day? <laughs> I don't think I'm very detail-oriented, though. And I think he is, you know? But maybe we would compliment one another. I feel like this is worth a shot. I feel like you crazy kids got to give it a whirl. Well, how did you feel about Jessica Chastain just with oh, her? should I read the Jessica Chastain? This is funny because we usually don't do like, and then this person tweeted. But, uh, but like Jessica Chastain was just like, Jessica Chastain Someone tweeted, get me my phone. Yes. I must respond to this slander. Um, I've known Jeremy Strong for 20 years and worked with him on two films. He's a lovely person. Very inspiring and passionate about his work. The profile that came out on him was incredibly one-sided. Don't believe everything you read, folks. Snark sells, but maybe it's time we move beyond it. Wow. First of all, what a use of 280. You know what I mean? Like, that would not have worked in 140. That wouldn't have worked as a chained series of tweets, like one slash question mark. That is really filling the space. You know, she saw the vessel and she filled it. Um, It's a, okay, it's a little fake newsy. You like you like to be like the New Yorker magazine is peddling an online snark. Don't believe also, it. Also, say what you will about that piece, which I thought was pretty amazing. It's not one sided. It's like nope. it's like Dungeons and Dragons die sided. It's like lots of people weigh in. Yeah, it's also not an ambush. He's like, come fly with me from Italy to my family's new refuge in Denmark. You know what I mean? Like. He is extremely accommodating and offered many people on the record from his own life as well as everyone on the show. And the people on the show strike a very conciliatory tone. They're like, well, this is his thing. And Brian Cox is like, I worry about him sometimes. And you think about that. I don't know if it was quoted in this or if we've heard it quoted elsewhere, but the the famous thing that Laurence Olivier said to Dustin Hoffman while making Marathon Man. Try acting, yeah. (laughs) My dear boy, have you ever considered acting? Yeah, right. (laughs) I Um, mean... Life is life is life, man. It's interesting, but it does it is all of this detracting from our enjoyment of succession. And I feel like I can speak for for us when we say no. I mean, no, we're talking about it, no. and it is a good position to be in with a TV show in this day and age, in this year, in this moment, where anything is possible. Truly, now. We also like the show, and when I say anything is possible, I mean in terms of what could happen with characters or plot. I don't mean um, Shiv is going to be reborn in the ashes of dragon eggs. Like, this is not that show, thankfully. Yeah, Sh- it's Shiv all is within. Mephisto. <laughs> it's time. Chris, you're going to get this one of these days. One of these I days, can... Kevin Feige has a big red button on his desk, and it's like, make the devil a talking and important character in the next phase of the MCU. And uh, 
that'll be a great day for you. I'm worried about that pizza dog. <laughs> I don't like the look of him, you know? <laughs> you think it's him? Yeah. Um, so this was a great week for... Um, well, I guess this the the Adam McCabe profile came out a little bit before this the Jeremy Strong one, but it's been a great couple of weeks for in depth profiles about um you know about creatives about about Hollywood because we had the Vanity Fair piece from Joe Hagan that was about ostensibly about Adam McKay and making Don't Look Up and his sort of transition from being Joe Hagan's been on this podcast. Joe Hagan, friend of the pod, I guess you know. Can do you just can you just call anyone's ever been on the pod friend of the pod or they have to be on more than once. Yeah, Hugh Grant, friend of the pod. That's right, yeah. So Joe Hagan did a piece on Adam McKay in Vanity Fair, and while most of it is about McKay's sort of political awakening and his transition from making movies like Step Brothers and Mm -hmm. Anchorman to making more polemical movies like Big Short and Vice and Now Don't Look Up, there's a big chunk of the piece that's dedicated to the disillusion or the dissolving of his relationship professional and personal with Will Ferrell, who is his original partner at Gary Sanchez and his partner at Funny or Die. And um, he goes into detail about what happened to that partnership. And a lot of it seemed to be wrapped up in the casting of, I mean, there was other issues, but it came to a head when it came time to cast Jerry Buss, the role of Jerry Buss, the Lakers owner, the late Lakers owner in what was then known as Showtime, uh, a, a show about the Lakers in the 80s based off a Jeff Perlman book. And initially he was going to, you know, Will Ferrell was like, quote, I guess up for it or was going to do it. But then he wanted Adam, to do it. But then Adam McKay. Now this is also, because if you read Matt Bellany's piece and Puck, like he goes into a little bit more detail about the casting of how it was going to be Michael Shannon. But then Michael Shannon had a bad table read. And then, that, and then they went with John C. Riley, who's, Will Ferrell's close friend and but Adam McKay hadn't told Will Ferrell any of this so it was a lot of back and forth and anyway you know the show is now called Winning Time and as we were going to record the, the trailer dropped this morning which uh, I have to admit pretty fired up about the look of it um, Me too. you don't yeah. see a lot of shows with such a striking visual tone that's so obvious from the trailer like this I mean we you, yes you get you see a Station Eleven trailer you say you see something you know, Carrie Fukunaga directs something or Hiro Mirai directs something. You're like, ah, wow, that looks amazing. But this is like, it's got a grainy late 70s feel to it. It looks almost like um, like news footage from back then. And it certainly has a lot of fucking energy. Uh, what, did you, what did you think of Winning Time, The Rise of the Los Angeles Lakers, which is the name of the show now? Well, I want to start in the least important place, which is I love that they had to change the name. <laughs> I, I, I love it. Not since Bell and Sebastian had an album called The Boy with the Arab Strap has there been a situation where one entity uh, was forced to reckon with the name of something from another entity. Now, in that case, as longtime fans of Scottish indie know, both bands were signed to Matador, so it was fine. But I mean, it would be like FX greenlighting a show about bird hunting called Peacocks. Like, <laughs> I, 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 it just it, it, it makes me smile. I love it, and you know but that they had they heated meetings. The name because of that, or because Adam Silver was like, "You can't, can't call it Showtime." I, I, I have to think that someone, I look, the 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 person who is head of marketing for Warner Media for many years, uh, I believe his first name was Doug. He recently was let go after HBO Max, one of the worst branding decisions uh, in recent memory, and so whoever inherited that coveted spot within the large company. 
the first item on his desk was, we're really hyped about our new HBO show, Showtime. <laughs> like, excuse me? Like, who approved this? And then he sees Doug's name on it, and you're like, no, 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 this, this, this has to go. It's the, the only alternative would just be like, I, can, I am HBO. I can call a show Showtime because I am your father, Luke. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. it would be, I, I think it would be, you always want to punch up, right? So I feel like Showtime could make a, a sitcom about the revolution in laser discs, and it could be called Home Box Office. Like, I yeah. feel like everyone would think that's great. But this couldn't happen. So now we have this awkward title winning time the rise of the lakers dynasty okay that's it is what it is right it looks great it looks like great fun to your point and it amazing it think, amazing, amazing cast. really deep cast yeah um and your guy the layer king adrian brody as riles jason Siegel right? is paul westhead or paul is it paul west or paul westfall i'm sorry i think it, well it's definitely paul west and then we can kayak and edit it later um i think, especially after watching the trailer and reading that profile, that I, that that kind of like anarchic energy, you want to say it again? It was Paul Westhead. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Westfall was the coach of the Suns, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a pretty easy mistake to make. Oh, listen, I wasn't, look, it's a little, little touchy. Like you were saying. I'm having my Jeremy Strong moment. My God, <laughs> stop wearing hard shoes when you podcast, you're going to suffer another injury. Um, I think that that kind of anarchic energy that Adam McKay uh, is proud and excited to bring to his future career might work in some ways better on the small screen. You know, in the piece, it talks about like how he'll do anything. And like when Margot Robbie is like, I'm going to explain yeah. uh, shorting stocks right, to you. The fake from the ending of Vice and all that. Yeah. And all of that stuff was absolutely revolutionary and thrilling and exhilarating when it was in uh, Anchorman, you know, when it, when that energy was being brought to the comedy. I found it a little bit diminishing returns in the movies and early word about don't look up is seems to be kind of negative. Yeah, this movie's getting laser tagged in a way so, that you don't often see. Yeah. And I, I think that there's something to be said. And Succession is an Adam McKay and although Will Ferrell has nothing to do with it, his name is on it because it was produced when Gary Sanchez was still a thing. It has his name on it. But it's Jesse Armstrong's show, and it was—it's never going to run credits in the middle of an episode. It is not trade. It—it is not uh, born of Del Close's improvisations in Chicago, right. uh, despite what they are allowed to do one take out of every nineteen. This energy works well for TV, especially for something that is meant to be fun. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I just feel like it's a—it's a natural fit, and it just seems like a—it's—it just seems like a good hang. Yeah, it, it reminded me a little bit of what they were doing on what they do on the, that Showtime show, Black Monday. But um, uh-huh. yeah, I would just say, I, after watching this trailer, my one take would be, if I was Will Ferrell and I watched that trailer, I'd be pretty pissed. Because it seems like John C. Riley is doing Will Ferrell. <laughs> wow. I'm just saying, like, Will Ferrell literally made he, this, he made semi-pro. It's not like he's like, basketball, I'm unfamiliar. I mean, but I, I, I guess in the, there have been reports that Will Ferrell was like, I don't want to desecrate the legacy of the Lakers. Like, I want to be... It's he wanted really? it to wanted it to be a little bit more pro Lakers because he's a Lakers guy, yeah. Um, and and to be fair, on my uh, fantasy basketball league group chat, right? I feel like the Lakers fans are already a little like, well, that's not exactly like. Well, Lakers fans historically take criticism very well. <laughs> yeah. Like they're they just roll with it. So I don't. This would be out of character, um, Chris. When we invariably. Uh, 
and dissolve this partnership. Um, would you like me to litigate our attempts at reconciliation through the Hollywood trade press the way Adam McKay seems to be doing? That's a really good question. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot because... <laughs> I bet you have. Well, because over the last 18 months, I, you know, I see you semi-regularly, but I see you uh-huh. no more regularly than I do when we're podcasting together. It's so true. in a lot of ways, the bulk of our relationship is split mm-hmm. between text messaging mm-hmm. and podcasting with each other. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be weird. I would want you to go on Marin. And I would want you to be yeah. like, here's what here's what really happened. And have like a really tearful one. I don't want <laughs> you to I'm get... And I'm so, so sorry. And I, I, I noticed the yeah. way it's skewing. It's clearly <laughs> something that I did. And I was like, I just didn't think his feet were up to the challenge of the part that I wrote for him. That's right. In uh, Briar Patch 2, a show about the Denver Nuggets in yeah. 19... Yeah, whatever. Look, um, it's weird. It's It just, it is weird to me to see this happen because I think when you read the Adam McKay pieces, there's an element of, and there's been a bunch of this, like it was, this was the Vanity Fair piece. I think he he doubled down on it with a Hollywood reporter, but basically like, here's exactly what happened from my perspective. And though we released a statement about always working together, we are not friends anymore and he won't speak to me. And I feel endless regret about that. And here's what I wrote to him. And here's what his name is saved under in my contacts on my phone. And I'm driving by his house right now, (laughs) flashing a message in semaphore Morse code, like, Will, please call me back. It feels feels a little like maybe post-therapy, but it's also just a little odd to me. I guess I just, I would so much prefer- I keep a tight circle, buddy. I really would. would, I don't want to discourage people from participating in pieces like this, is what I'm saying. It's like the Adam McKay thing, the Jeremy Strong thing. I prefer so much reading about something where it's like, this is a complicated three-dimensional person with flaws and anxieties and insecurities, rather than this Mm. actor has spent the last two years becoming even a better person than he was before the pandemic. Oh my God. Wait, you just (laughs) caught me. You caught me on the wrong side of things because I was reading this as like, I'm a little concerned about people as people and I hope everybody's doing okay. Right. There's another part of me that grew up reading great reported magazine stories and profiles and writing, you know, trying to write them sometimes. And that, felt like it had died for exactly the reasons you said. I mean, right. there was, I remember like there was an Owen Wilson piece in Esquire this summer that's all about like ordering breakfast at a place and waiting for breakfast. And it's because that's the time he had with Owen Wilson. No disrespect to the writer. I mean, it was a fun piece. No, of course not. It's it's just that this is what, this is how micromanaged everything is. You are yeah, not going to Yeah, and it's just like, I, I think that there's been specifically, like especially now because I think people are particularly nervous about having a situation where everybody all of a sudden is like, this guy's an asshole. Like they really closely make it. So it's like already wildly successful. The last two years have shown actor X that it's also important to be socially conscious, which he has conquered, you know, (laughs) you know, it's just like you get to the end of the piece. It's like, I'm very happy for you. You know, do do, do you think, um, how do you think news of the New Yorker pieces virality reached the remote fishing cabin where Jeremy Strong is uh, bunkered down learning lines with his family. I I kind of picture the lone paparazzo. Well, in given Denmark. the New Yorkers fact checking, I'm sure they're like, hi, uh, Jeremy. Um, this is Brian from the New Yorker uh, fact checking department <laughs> research. Did you break your feet twice or was the second time a metatarsal sprain? You know, 
Kieran Culkin is on record as calling you wackadoo. I'm going to spell it. W-A-C. No, I mean, I just picture the one paparazzo in Denmark kind of being like the seventh seal, like like someone's waiting for him on the beach in the morning when he goes to walk his 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 Labrador, you know? Right. And it's just, it's like a, a, a sheaf of printed out tweets. <laughs> you should read these, Jeremy. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Bell one time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through 1231.24. Excludes tax must update to rewards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What fun. What fun. Yeah. Should we talk about comedies while we're having fun? Yeah. Hey, so we, we like we sort of have a not hard fast rule, but what we sometimes do here is skip the comedies because we're not very evolved thinkers and we don't really know what to say about them aside from that was really funny. Uh, it's a lot easier, frankly, to talk about a mystery or a drama and get into unpacking certain elements of that than it is to just be like, great job. I laughed. Um, but there are a couple that we wanted to shout out. There's one that just premiered um, last night that we wanted to but start did you, with. Did you like that I tried to brand this uh, this segment as Chris's Comedy Corner, Chris's but Comedy, comedy Corner, and Corner which, yeah, are right. in, with Ks, which doesn't work in an audio medium like podcast, but I thought that was Especially funny. Especially when you're using three of them. Yeah, I don't particularly No, no, Chris was a C. I, why, are you, why are you hanging me out? To, this is what's going to break us up. I, I thought of that already, that this segment was not going to be called, hey guys, it's time for KKK. That was not... I know. What we were doing. CKK just now, rolls right unfortunately, off the Unfortunately, yeah. Kaya's Comedy Corner <laughs> we, has been canceled. We cannot run that segment this week or our sponsors tell us ever. Sorry, I'll be Kaya. surprised if this makes it into the podcast, to be completely <laughs> this, honest. Baby, this is the podcast. So, okay. So, Comedy Corner. Uh, and it can be both of us. The, the CA. <laughs> you're, you're all alone. Um, let's talk about this show that came out last night on ABC called Abbott Elementary which I had not even heard of. And the the herald of comedy, Andy Greenwald, brought it to my attention. Tell me a little bit about this show before we get into it. 
Yeah, sure. So um, Abbott Elementary premiered on ABC last night. It is the pilot is available to watch on Hulu now. ABC is doing a sort of interesting strategy with its comedies, uh, its new comedies, of which it has, I guess, three or four that they're excited about. They are premiering them in December, and then the series isn't beginning in earnest until after the holidays. You know, all all streamers have certainly been experimenting with different rollout models. This mm-hmm. is a sign that that sort of advanced thinking is is trickling into the, the stodgiest conservative corners of, of broadcast TV. It makes sense. It's very, very hard to get new audiences for anything. It's very hard to get an audience uh, to buy into a new comedy. Having an episode available to stream, which is basically what they're doing, right? I think the deal that was probably struck with the network and with the studio uh, was that it was not going to be on Hulu. It's going to be on ABC. And so it has to be on ABC first. So they're basically like sneaking it in order to get it onto Hulu to s- maybe slow build some it's audience. It's kind of like what they do with After the Thrones, right? Yeah, it's a very slow build with that. I think that we are going to debut again for the first time sometime in 2025. Um, so the backstory of the show, this is, it was uh, created, written, and stars Quinta Brunson, who's a very funny uh, comedian and performer from our hometown of Philadelphia. And in making the show, she partnered with a friend of ours, Justin Halpern, and his comedy writing partner, Patrick Schumacher. You might know their work from uh, Surviving Jack or the Harley Quinn uh, cartoon that's on HBO Max now. Mm-hmm. And uh, But this is Quinta's show. And it is a office-style mockumentary comedy series set in the halls of a struggling Philadelphia public school. And I urge everyone to watch this pilot so because it is, it's so funny and it is a masterclass in how to get a sitcom off the ground. I was blown away by it on two levels. One, as Chris said, it's super fucking funny. And there's a Zach Ertz joke within the first eight minutes. So if you're a Philadelphia sports fan, you will feel very seen and taken care of. And she is just a delightful star and host and in a way narrator of this, of this show. But it does so many hard things, so apparently effortlessly and well. I love to quote the thing that Mike Schur told me years ago about TV comedy, which is he wishes you could make 10, throw them away, and then the first one anyone saw is the 11th for the reasons, some of the reasons we were alluding to earlier about just sort of finding the voice and finding, understanding the actors. Um, This show hits the ground running. Like it has always been there and knows what it's doing. It's brilliantly cast and- can I just say really? Jan- Janelle James, who plays the principal, who is, uh, <laughs> I guess, the antagonist of the show, <laughs> but is, is she, I think she's a writer on Black Monday, actually. She's incredible as the principal on the show, Ava. The, the supporting cast is really, really great. Oh, I mean, Tyler James Williams, who's an actor I'm always checking for. He was the star of Everybody Hates uh, Chris. Uh, years ago, he was he had a really good turn on The Walking Dead a couple of years ago. He shows up as sort of a straight man, potential love interest for Quinta Brunson's main character, Janine, an actress I'm not familiar with um, named Lisa Ann Walter, plays a woman named Melissa, who is sort of a South Philly type veteran teacher, (laughs) who is, again, like, this is hard to do, guys, like to have a character appear in a talking head the way The Office used to do. And then within three lines, you're like, I get it. I see where it's going. And oh, my God, let's go for a while. Yeah. You know, it's really, really exciting. It has... It's also kind of, it, but but it's also, oh, and Cheryl Lee Ralph, the majestic Cheryl Lee Ralph just wrecks shop with the kind of like, it's a similar thing when Andre Brower was on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. You're like, what is an actor of your regal intensity doing on this? And thank God that you're here. But it's really worth watching 
for many reasons that we're, we're, we're trying to list, but I just feel like to see how all that it gets done in such a short amount of time, because it's going for that office slash parks and rec sweet spot. And there are so many smart decisions made along the way from casting the right people, not necessarily the most famous people to hiring Randall Einhorn, who I've never met, but I've always wanted to call Randy Unicorn, who directed uh-huh. many episodes of The Office, who directed <laughs> this show, to finding that sweet spot of these are funny, silly people in funny, silly situations. But the heart of the show is that they are working with kids in a rougher neighborhood in Philadelphia, and they want to do good, not just do well, they want to do good. And that can that could come off at the wrong hands as sanctimonious or mawkish or whatever. But I just, I just thought it was delightful. And it's really rare these days to watch a pilot. Very often, our positive reviews of pilots, comedy or drama, tend to be, okay, it's qualified. Right, um, yeah, it's like, I let, can't wait see. to see where this goes. Yeah, Let's see where they go. And, and yeah, I mean, there are more episodes to come and comedies can be hit or miss. But this is the one where I actually just, after the Zach Ertz joke, I sat back and I was like, I'm, you, you drive. Great. Right. I'm here. And it's really going to be really fun to watch this go. Do you, so the, the pilot is up on Hulu. You can watch yeah. that. So, and then it, when does the show itself January. kick in? January. That's great. I was just going to recommend if people haven't gotten a chance to check this out. I think I've mentioned this before, but one of my favorite shows of the year, and I'm going to be talking about it on our best shows of the year pod, is this show Motherland, which I am now casually sort of watching for the second time. What? It's a, a British show uh, sort of from the umbrella of Sharon Horgan. And it's uh, three seasons. I think there's only like six or seven episodes per season and it's 30 minutes per episode. So it's very British in that regard. And it's set in London among uh, three or four you know, mothers and one father who are basically like meet up during the day while their kids are in school and get into trouble with one another and have very differing uh, opinions about their own children and their relationship to parenting. I'm not a parent, but I find this show uh, so, so, so fucking funny, perhaps because it's not uh, very precious about the the children. But um, yeah, I just, if people have a chance to check this out, it's on Sundance. Uh, and you can watch it like on an AMC Plus subscription. And I'll talk about it more next time when we when we do Best of the Year. I mean, do you remember what... Um, do you remember the the role the children played on Catastrophe on Sharon Horgan's last television show? Yeah. <laughs> <Which> was, <laughs> I mean, not, uh, not super positive, I would say. I feel like the show treated the children the way Lindsay Lohan treated her ankle monitor that she sported <laughs> for a couple of years, like in the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, yeah, not uh, not really heartwarming, but I'm, so the, I'm excited to check it out. Two recommendations. We did a great job today. We've just we spread positivity. We've uh, we've approved of a new Lakers show, and we, we want actors to continue to make themselves incredibly vulnerable to profile writers. Those are the <laughs> you, action items coming out of here. Did you, Did you want me to ask the question I asked you on text on our podcast, which is, did Ghostbusters happen? Yeah, what was up with that? You you like texted me at like ten fifty eight a.m. right before well, we're at start, and you're like, what's up with the Ghostbusters bo domestic bo? <laughs> Listen, I love numbers. You know what I mean? Like, I just I want to know quant. It's so where funny. the markets yeah. are moving. Like, what's generating what? Like, how much was P and E? Like, what are they expecting on return? What's global cum? Right? No, I, no one involved with the podcast. Whether it's in our listening audience or Kaya's Comedy Corner, nope. <laughs> Setting that back, um, want to hear me talk about Ghostbusters again, especially uh-huh. since I still have not seen it. Right. So I and, and nor is that likely to change. 
my my genuine question based on the most annoying kind of oh, is this a thing that is really endemic in uh white men of our exact age group was just that I, I I paid attention when it came out over Thanksgiving and it was like Ghostbusters is tracking to blah 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 blah. And I was like, okay, that seems to be like it's doing fine and making You filled money out and- you filled out the spreadsheet just to be like, here's <laughs> my Andy's massive sheet of global cum. Yeah. yeah. Where are they hiding the money so that they pretend that it didn't make profit? No, I honestly I was just trying to see why it outearned my beloved Encanto, which was one of the best films of the year. Are you but- gonna get to go on big picture? I don't want to break news here, but I will say this. Twitter shaming works. So you that's guys my lesson. Yeah. That's the lesson that I've been taught here. If you if you don't do snitch, me a favor though, don't take all people. the Daddington Island stuff to Sean though. I, you gotta you you gotta come visit the island. You gotta take <laughs> a GoFast boat out. Am I allowed I on? You, I, I've offered you I was like a year ago, you were like, I'll watch a Miyazaki film. Oh yeah, that's right. Chris, I welcome you. I would love for you to watch. You like Lin Manuel Miranda? Sure, right. yeah, for sure. You you love the rhythms of Colombia? Like, you should watch this movie. It's fucking great. But all of this banter is to hide the fact that Ghostbusters seemed to do well over mm-hmm. Thanksgiving weekend, as much as any movie major release can do well. And yet, it, the in the shallow puddles of the cultural internet where I reside, I have not seen many ripples from it. And I wasn't sure if what I was asking you sincerely was, am I not looking in the right place? Is this a foundational movie for people? Are people loving it? Did it heal the wounds of the remake? Is it Has it rebooted this IP for the company or for the right family? Don't Reitman you think it's family? just like everything else just, where there's a tremendous amount yeah. of speculation right until the moment that it actually comes out and then it just kind of vanishes? I mean, Yes. I don't even know that people were talking about Dune on the Thursday after Dune was made available. <laughs> I mean, sincerely, yeah. like they were like, it's cool. And like people talked about like their favorite scenes and stuff. But I think it's just tough for something to to really grab people's attention. Now, I mean, I, I haven't seen Ghostbusters Afterlife um, uh, personally, but, uh, you know, like, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'll be really curious because as we're getting into the Oscar season and like, you know, West Side Story and Licorice Pizza and, and you know, maybe more people can go see movies like Belfast and Power of the Dog is on Netflix. It's like how like movies will sort of like enter, enter the chat, you know, because we've we've obviously we're, we're a little bit demented because we've been talking about succession for more than two months. Yes. But that sometimes feels like. How do you, how do you make something matter unless it's unless it's like spread out like that? Right. You can't. I mean, this is there's been a bunch of really smart writing recently and, and maybe because I don't have it at the tip of my fingers, maybe I can I can share it later on, on social or something. But, you know, the the agony and ultimate hopelessness of living in a perpetual present, which is what we live in. Yeah. And it was exacerbated by the pandemic, certainly. But really what that refers to is just the feed, you know, refresh on the feed. Like everything is now. So there is no reflection. There is no sitting with. There's no meditation. There's no returning to. There's no coming back to. There's no bubbling up. It's always whatever is happening now, which is absolutely a way to go insane. But it is also a death knell for the cinematic experience, I think, in the way that you and I often love and treasure, uh, unless it smears like Mm -hmm. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You're not really talking about Eternals. I mean, I, I would love to keep talking about it. You're not, but th- that's just the example that I brought up. What you're talking about is the larger puzzle that mm-hmm. this one piece fits into. And even if we are no longer talking about, you know, justice for Kingo, we are talking about 
you know, uh, Florence Pugh shows up in Hawkeye, which is essentially talking about the same thing, at least right. as far as the shareholders of the Walt Disney Corporation are concerned. Um, it's really tough out there for a movie that's just going to be a moment or, a, you know, a nice sink in. I, I don't think our man Ken Branagh is really workshopping Belfast to the dark world. You know, he, he only did, he only did the first Thor, if you know what I mean. Uh, it, it's tough. I, I think that that's the smarter point, the more, the more jaded and potentially negative point, which is not earned because neither of us have seen the movie. But what I was secretly kind of wondering about Ghostbusters, is it Ghostbusters afterlife? Is it just the ultimate 2021 project in that what it is, is a collection of, nostalgia and marketing and think pieces and Twitter bait and stunt casting in the service of generating a moment. And what they forgot to do is put a movie in there because that's the least important part. That is my super cynical unearned take. But I think, and I do think there's a lot of culture that functions that way. We really are becoming that character from Metropolitan who's like, I don't read novels. I read good literary criticism (laughs) because that way you get the summary and the take without actually having to read the fiction. And what's particularly good about that is, uh, yeah, we our only reference is to a 32 year old Whit Stillman film. Yeah. Sorry about shout that. Out, shout out the Wood Stillman Hive. Sorry, everybody. Uh, go back to the feet. Uh, so here's what we'll do. We are going to be back up on Sunday night a little bit later than usual. So typically the episodes have been dropping as soon as Succession is over. We'll be watching Succession with everyone else and then recording uh, seven-ish Pacific time. So we'll probably Nighttime be pod, a little punchy. What time will hours. it go up? I, who can say? It's really up to Kaya and it's about I, I how she feels say. about... Yeah, Kaya can say... And Kaya can say how swiftly she's going to be working after being put in the comedy corner on this Thursday's show. And then uh, next Thursday, just as a heads up, getting everybody ready, Annie and I have both seen Station Eleven. Obviously, a lot of reviews have started to come out. We've watched a few episodes uh, each. And I will say, I think Andy would agree with me that this is one of the best shows of the year. So we are very excited to be talking about the first three episodes next Thursday. Obviously, it goes up right then so you may not be able to watch all of those episodes right as the pod goes up save it please watch this show i think it's a a miracle and i can't wait to talk about it it's exciting it's exciting it's december and there's something great just around the corner yeah so not 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 in london not in westminster there's (laughs) nothing great for the rest of the month carry on right do not the christmas do yeah (laughs) do not throw party do not gather just watch station 11 it'll be fine See you guys Sunday night.